Hey everyone, I'm Mohini. And I'm Farheen. And we're not your average aunties. We're here for some gupshup and to speak about our lives and our views about the world. These are our thoughts in this moment. Welcome. Today, we're really excited to be in conversation with a couple of wonderful friends, fantastic aunties in their own right, our friends Faiza and Manju. And we are going to be talking about motherhood and mothering and all things about being moms. And so welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Farheen. It's so it's so wonderful to be part of this conversation at this time. The extrovert in me is missing, you know, conversation with women and South Asian women. What a what a privilege for me to be able to sit with four women together um, and talk about something that's so personal and so um, and wonderful in my life as well. And for me too, thank you, Farhina and Mohini, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Um, something that's very profound experience, um, having a child and bringing another person up in the world. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you both for joining us. And Farheen, as you did the introduction, I also thought, of, yeah, what does it mean to mother and motherhood? And I thought to be mothered. Mm. And I'm sure we're going to speak about that collectively and individually, because I know, Mandu, you and I have had a lot of conversations that has informed your experiences of mothering and how I was mothered, not just by my mother, my biological mother, but but by other women in my life and how that impacts my caring for others, particularly children and teens. Yeah, what, what does it mean to care for children and being a, a loving auntie? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Faiza, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Farheen. So my name is Faiza. And, um, you know, for the sake of this podcast, which is about mothering and motherhood, I'm a mom. I have been a mom for five years. So I feel like a very new mom, you know, and for the past 10 months, I've been a mother in a pandemic, which I think is something that we need to say, because not only am I a mom, I am a teacher, I am an ECE, I am a full-time chef, I'm working at the same time, you know, in a marriage at the same time. So there's a lot going on. And my idea of motherhood has really changed because of this pandemic. I'm also my kid's playmate, I'm the referee. And all of these things are intertwined and all come with the responsibility of, of being a mom right now at this time. I'm also a mom of children who have many races represented in their lives and the skin that they live. Mm -hmm. My husband is um, a Black American. I'm South Asian Canadian. My husband was raised with a Christian background. I was raised with a Muslim, Ismaili, Islamic background. So there's a lot of, uh, all of that informs how I am a mom and the learning that I'm doing as a mom right now. And I'm also a mom to um, a child that was born premature. So that is also a part of my experience as being a mom. My youngest son, Malik, was born 
uh, three months early. And, you know, being a mom with one child at home and one child in the hospital um, for three months is also part of my experience of being a mom. There's a lot that's happened in my first five years as being a mom that I'm grateful for, um, but also that I'm still trying to figure out. I feel really new at all of this. Yeah, that's me. And that's me through the lens of being a mom. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I also know you outside of being a mom and all of the many things that make up who you are. And and I'm still learning about you as a, as a person. So you feel new to motherhood. I feel new to our friendship and discovering all of, all of the many layers that make up who you are, including your identity as a mom. Manju, you're also a very multifaceted person and you're a mom. Tell us a bit about yourself. Since we're talking about motherhood, you see, I was in a car accident over a decade ago and I broke my back and it was a long rehab back into being able to walk and kind of resuming normal activities. And, um, I had always wanted to have children, so it delayed everything, which me, which meant that, and wasn't even sure if I'd be able to. Um, so I ended up being an older mother, right? Um, and I only ended up having one, which I, I do have some regret over, but you know, at least I'm I'm happy to have the one. <laughs> but having that accident and having mobility taken away really makes you grateful for all these little things. Well, they're not little, but, you know, being healthy and moving around. And so I'm very grateful for that. I remember before I had children, there was a friend of mine who's somebody they worked with. He was this really philosophical guy. He lived, he was from Mexico. And he said, you know, we're just custodians of children. Like they're given to us for a short time and we have the privilege to raise them and to, and then release them into the world. They're not ours, you know? And I always remember that and I always try to keep that in mind that I'm just a caretaker of this person for a short time, for a certain time in their life. And I don't live through them or I don't, they're not mine to own or, you know, shape. You try, but but it's it's a gift of a short period, you know. And that's, I try to think of that when I, while I'm raising him, that I'm just a caretaker. And so how do I be the best caretaker? for him for as long as I can. It's so interesting how you say you've all, you always wanted to be a mother because that's something like when I speak to first time moms or, you know, moms of multiple kids or even uh, people who found themselves to be mothers later in life as stepmothers, even in blended families. Like for me, it's not something I always wanted. It's something that I decided very intentionally and very consciously. And for me, it feels like the most selfish thing I've ever done in my life is to become a mother and to bring a child into the world. And so it's interesting when you say you always wanted you, you, that's part of you that you always knew because it's a new part of me that I didn't always know and didn't really pay attention to. I was just having fun in my life and really focused on work and focused on helping other people through my work. And then, you know, being a mom feels very natural to me, but it, you know, wasn't something that I thought about or wanted. It is really something I took for granted that would I would be able to do and was lucky that it is something that came easy to my husband and I and, and, and to our family. So I, I just found that so interesting because I think that there is this idea in uh, for some people that this is a very, you know, this instinct to be a mom is very natural. And, you know, women are born with it, and we crave it, and we want it. And if we can't be moms, it's very painful. Whereas, 
for a lot of women, making that decision to not be a mom is very liberating and is also very conscious and intentional. And that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. So thank you for saying that because yeah, as someone who hasn't had children, you know, I, and I speak to a lot of my other friends who have not had children, some by intention and some by not intention. It's just not worked out that they had a child, met someone, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it was a combination of both. It was not intentional that I didn't want children. I thought, if I meet someone and we're in a loving partnership, then maybe if they want and I want. So it was always very like, oh, you know, either way, it's all good. And yet uh, also listening to friends who, for whom it's been very painful to have that desire and not be able to. And then at the larger societal level, I think about what you just said about expectations and, oh, these thoughts that women are just naturally nurturing or naturally want to be moms. And that's not true at all. And then if we don't have children, it's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And then if we can't have children, what's wrong with you? Either way, there is something wrong with us as women. I agree with what you're saying. I think there's so much pressure and judgment on women around motherhood, which, you know, not everyone has a good experience with it. You know, like some people have them and regret it, you know, because it's a very demanding, not always fun challenge. And it's not for everyone. And I don't think that we should judge anyone or but there is a lot because it's a traditional role for women that you're going to raise kids and you're going to do this, you know, and it's. I think it's something we all have to support each other in whatever choices or decisions we make. It's such a it's such an interesting time to be a mom right now. I remember, you know, five years ago when I had my son Kayam, my mom would just say, you know, often she would say, like, I don't I wouldn't want to be a mom at this time because of the internet and because of the access you have to see how other people are mothering and this natural inclination to then compare yourself right like oh this this mom is doing this or this child started speaking at this age or started walking at this age and this um tendency just to start comparing myself to other moms and looking at my child and comparing him to other kids and my mom said that to me a few times and then it didn't really sink in for me until I had Malik, my second son, because we had to really, you know, when he was born, we had to, we'd rejoiced every night, every gram that he would put on in weight at the hospital, we would rejoice. And I would talk to the other moms in the, in the NICU and be like, well, how much weight did your baby put on? And I realized like that pressure that I was putting on myself and this expectation I was putting on this child in an incubator that can't, you know, he's just doing the best that he can do to survive. I had to just stop that, disrupt that thought right away because I could see that I was setting myself up. My ego was getting in the way and I was just setting myself up to be this mom who was going to judge how good of a mother am I by how well can he perform? And it really has nothing to do with me. Who he is is who he is. It's, it needs to be separate from my ego. And it was interesting, like it took me so long to connect that comment that my mom made with my first son to this experience that I had with my second son. So it's it's such an interesting time to be a mom. 
I feel like this could be the first of a few different episodes about mothering and about parenting, um, because I just want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, those of us that are in parenting roles right now, we're in heterosexual relationships. And so what is it like to, to not be in a heterosexual relationship and to be raising children? And I also am thinking about some of the women I know that chose to be parents without a partner and without a spouse and very intentionally decided to be to be moms on their own or turn to their extended family for support, to their own parents for support, to their siblings and their communities for to, to co-parent with them, to raise their children as a village. So I think there's so much that we can explore and, and I'm excited about having those other kinds of conversations. Yeah, thanks for also saying that, Fahim, because I think, you know, some of the pressures that we're already uh, talking about, you know, that I thought of that term performative mothering, (laughs) although uh, probably there's no aspect of mothering that's real performance. I mean, it's just real, I can imagine. But, you know, with social media, but I think even prior to social media and the advent of the internet, there's always been this kind of compare comparison and the medical model imposes certain criteria about how healthy babies are or not in this constant scrutiny. Um, But I also think about the context and societies in which we have maybe been mothered and are mothering, um, which is this, you know, Western white supremacist, uh, heteropatriarchal capitalist context where we don't have villages supporting each other. So of course, there's a lot of mother shaming and blaming and internalization of all that pressure because you're it. Like there isn't, we don't have an ethos that we all collectively care and love children that we we actually still believe in these ideas that babies are blank slates that we are going to infuse with all of our nonsense and supposed wisdom, although there is also a lot of wisdom. But, um, and that is also very culturally specific. I think of like, um, being in India, and knowing that for the first 40 days of a child's life, and the mother of that child, they are indoors for 40 days, and the whole world revolves around their every need, both mother and child. Whereas here, I, I think it's true that you you don't even you're not even kept in the hospital overnight. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you you've had this baby, thank you, efficiency, go home, and maybe there's some care, someone visits you, or somebody telehealth some <laughs> breastfeeding <laughs> advice to you, but that that's the extent. And so, what does it mean when an entire uh, like literal village, but proverbial village and culture supports motherhood and mothering and this child versus um, efficiency and performance around uh, motherhood. I, I mean, I find it so strange that, you know, it's the raising a child becomes like one person's job or one you know, like, and the culture's almost against it. Like, you know, when a woman's pregnant and in the workplace and they're kind of, you know, discriminated against because they're raising children. Yet this is our 
whole society, like what is wrong with our society that we don't value that at all? Or we don't value the work that women do and it's all been relegated to women's work and it just makes me kind of angry about that, <laughs> you know? Cause it, this is, or it's all human, it's, this, it's a human family and it, we should all, not should, but we should, you know, it would be a natural thing, I think, to care for each other, isn't it? Having compassion. And, yeah. So I it's think also, that's patriarchal, sorry, part of patriarchy. And it's also this idea that we don't even recognize fathers the way that we could recognize fathers. You know, I, I remember when Malik was born on a Friday my husband was ending one job that day that he was born and starting a new job the following Monday. And, you know, he went to his new job on Monday and I don't think it was until like his second week at work where somebody was like, Hey, how was your weekend? Where he said, Oh, I, you know, I was at the hospital. I had a son a couple of weeks ago and um, he's in the hospital. And it, you know, he, I remember him telling me about how he told a coworker about it. And I thought to myself, like, if, if, that was me naturally when somebody had asked me that first Monday as my first job and somebody asked me something about myself, I would volunteer that information about being a mom right away. Um, but for him, it's not, it didn't feel natural. It probably didn't feel safe. Even if it was women who were asking that question for him to lead with, I'm a father, you know, and in the type of work that he does as well. So it's true that Manju, what you say about, you know, not sometimes feeling like motherhood is not valued. And then also this, at the same time, fatherhood is not valued and fatherhood is not praised and um, fathers are not lifted up and um, given the credit that, that they so rightly deserve as well. Uh, my husband has two sons from a previous marriage. So I'm a stepmom to two teenage boys um, which is a new thing for me growing up. My dad was the only man in our family. Like I had two sisters, no brothers. And so this is very new to be in a family with primarily men. And I think, you know, traditionally women are considered and labeled the caregivers, but my partner, he shared with me that when the children were young, like it, it was his instinct to care for them. He's a very gentle and nurturing man. And he loved taking care of the boys when they were babies, changing their diapers and bathing them, soothing them when they were sick or when they cried. And, you know, now like when they're struggling with life, he talks with them about their feelings. But similarly, Faisa, you know, it's not necessarily something that he talks about at work or with his friends. And I think likely it's because of the patriarchal definitions of gender roles when it comes to raising children. You know, I'm also seeing the boys grapple with trying to fit in and navigating expectations around masculinity and these pressures to conform to like toxic masculinity um, and not just from the broader society, but also expectations within their own family. Mm -hmm. You know, I also think about my father and mother and how me and my brother were parented. It's also complex. My father is the one that I was closest to. He was my rock. He was very kind, loving, nurturing, you know, two immigrants. So my mom would work in the morning and sometimes my father was doing the afternoon shift. So it meant he was at home when my brother and I came home for lunch. So there weren't those fixated patriarchal ideas about mothers and fathers in our home because they're both working 
two jobs or different jobs and both trying to raise this family. So can't just be like, no, that's your role. It's like, no, we got to make this work by necessity, by circumstance. Those gender roles just could not exist. I'm sure they existed in, in other ways, but in terms of parenting, I found my dad to be much more nurturing and loving and caregiving. However, I want to really talk again about that mother shaming. And I've read a little bit about the mother wound and why there was a disconnect between my mom and I and um, a history of mental illness. I mean, I've spoken about this before, you know, her being thrust and shipped off to another continent, not speaking the language, all kinds of reasons, then probably having a baby very quickly and not understanding at 22 years old, kind of like, oh my gosh, how do I, what do I even do here? Without that village, without all her, without her mother and her aunties and her sisters, what she has witnessed in terms of how people care for each other. Like you said, Manju, we collectively care for each other, but there's been a complete disruption of that. So I suspect we did not bond. And I was also premature, not not three months, but at least I think a month uh, premature. And so I've heard my mom tell stories of, you know, getting on two buses and going very far away to the hospital uh, to visit me. But there was a bit of a disruption um, between her and I. And I think in terms of being mothered, I didn't feel mothered until my 30s. And there was a friend... And my dear uh, friend who passed away two years ago, Lisa, who I feel was the first woman in my life who unconditionally loved me, like as a mother. I mean, we've been friends for a long time, Manju and Farheen, but you've never played the mother role to me, or I've not put you in that role. But my friend Lisa, somehow, because she was older and so loving and kind, you know, kind of played played that role because I never felt nurtured in that way and always longed for it. So I think there's, there's some, again, uh, disrupting this notion of mothering and fathering. And instead, like, how do folks love and care for children, especially if we want to get away from this heteropatriarchal ideas that there needs to be a mother and a father and you know two parents and our the constellations of our families are so diverse I mean grandmothers and aunties and all kinds of folks caring and loving for children but like I really respect uh, Faisa you and Manju being so thoughtful about raising children because not to make so light of it, but some of us end up uh, for decades in therapy <laughs> um, as a result of not feeling seen and heard. So that you, all three of you, actually Farheen, you as well, how you and your partner uh, make such intentional choices. And I realized what I just did there. I just did not equate your role as a mother in the same way. I just did that. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, being a stepmom is not exactly the same as being a mom, but I do feel a sense of responsibility in terms of how I 
engage with with the boys and how I uh, model for them. But yeah, that's that's a whole other thing we can talk about around step being a stepmom. We can come back to that later. I don't think there is one perfect way to be a mom. I feel like I'm two moms. I feel like I learned to be a mom with Kayam and then I had to relearn to be a mom with Malik because with Kayam it felt really easy. Everything was easy. Um, pre- getting pregnant was easy. Pregnancy was easy. Delivery was fine. With with Malik when he was born, you know, I remember being outraged in the hospital because I had to get the permission of a nurse to be in the same room with my baby. I had to get the permission of a nurse to touch my baby. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a mom. I know, I know what to do. But the truth is they, I didn't, I did not know what to do in that situation. And those nurses were protecting my son. And that another layer of that was like, why are you trying to protect him from me? Like I'm the safest place for him to be right now. So there, I don't think there is one perfect way to be a mom. I think for however many moms there are in the world, that's how many ways there is to be a mom. And, you know, Mohini, I love that you had Lisa in your life because I think you now, you know, what's the difference between having a girlfriend or, or having a daughter when you take on that role of being a mom to someone, whether you birth that child, whether they are the child of a friend of yours, whoever they are, if they're your stepchild, you know, intent, you know what it is you're doing, you know what it is to mother, right? Like your friend Lisa, she knew what she was doing. She knew that care and that love that she was giving you was different than the care she was giving to another friend. It's 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 a very different it's a different wor- a worry that you take on about somebody's well-being. It, you know, I'm in the stage of my life with my kids where I'm just trying to keep them alive right now. Like I'm not, you know, I'm just trying to make sure they're fed, they're sleeping. It's very, you know, at the beginning for me, motherhood is it's very much about their physical well-being. And now with the, with the pandemic and as they're getting older and expressing themselves and their personalities are come out, now I'm really focusing on their mental health. And their well-being, you know, because they can go to the bathroom by themselves. They can get a snack by themselves. It's changing. Um, but I'm very aware that I'm their mom, right? They're not They're not my nephew or uh, the child of somebody else. It's. I have a very different role to play and a very different influence in their life. Just to go back to my friend Lisa, I, she never, she might have actually, as you said, subconsciously or consciously seen the value of what she gave to me or I don't think she would have ever placed it as mothering because Lisa was kind of like this universal mother such a loving presence like and we bonded and but I could see her extending that to uh, almost absolutely everyone in her life I think she would be maybe slightly horrified if she ever thought I thought of her as my mother um, which I never thought of her as (laughs) <laughs> but that kind of love, the quality yeah. of that love that I, again, I saw her give to so many. Um, so just going back to the idea of like, you know, our mothers, having a child for me brought up a lot of my own childhood experiences with motherhood and the ambivalence I felt towards it, which kind of sometimes would spill into being a mother because my family was very traditional in a way like my dad would my mom was always cooking cleaning you know my dad would always like they both worked but like Mohini my dad was the nurturer and my mom was 
yeah, I think she struggled with the role, like being a mother. She's not naturally maternal, you know? And so, and it was a lot of labor for her. And I know like when she had me, she went to, um, <laughs> she went to, she basically had me in the field by herself with her little sister and then just cut the cord, clean me up, went to bed. And I'm like, I can't believe she did that. I was like, how did you possibly do that? No doctor, nothing, which they find the strength to do it. But I guess, I mean, that's probably how it was before. <laughs> but, you know, it brought up this ambivalence about it because my experience of being mothered was, wasn't all that positive. It had some problems in it. And so it would come up. And sometimes a lot of sorrow and sadness of my own experience would come up in, in mothering as well. And I think that's not really talked about a lot. Like I've heard of some people just don't, they have the child and they don't feel that feeling. Like they, in fact, they're like, I don't want to get out of this situation, you know? And I think, you know, it's good to talk about all those different experiences and let allow all of them, right? Because it's not an easy thing. And it's not, I don't like the idealistic image of motherhood and you're so everything's always happy and you feel so bonded to your child and all that you know and actually when he was born I remember him looking at me and I just thought who's this strange thing I was to, I didn't feel anything I was just like this is weird you know and I fell asleep and it was my husband who like like sang to him and held him and whatever and I didn't I was just like I don't know I don't know just all those other experiences of what motherhood means I felt the same way as you, Manju. I did not feel this like, <gasps> I didn't feel this heavenly. I was tired and I was bleeding and I was just like looking for my husband because I was like, you're up. This is, this is your time to shine right now. I didn't, I didn't feel that. It took me a while, Manju, to feel this cosmic thing, you know, this magical thing that are on all the greeting cards that I gave to my mom as a kid. <laughs> I didn't feel that as well. I didn't feel that either. And you're right. It's not talked about. I'm so happy that you, that you even named that and that you said that because it isn't talked about enough. And then there's so much guilt. Like I'm always feeling guilty. Like, am I teaching them enough? Like, am I, what kind of person is he being in? There's so much, like, I don't think our moms ever thought about that. Like my mom would be like, go play. I'd be gone the whole day. She had no idea where I was. Come home. Good. Eat. They don't care. Right. Because they were, their main thing was get food on the table for us. Like there's so much pressure to like, what kind of person are you bringing into the world? And what is their ethics? And what kind, am I teaching them a good morality? And at the same time, when you're trying to make a living and trying to like live your life, it's really, really hard. And it's like with no, extended community to help you it's just it's just you and your husband or, or you by yourself trying to do it and it's really really hard you know and that's too much pressure I think oh you, you just you don't get to turn it off right um I had a conversation with my husband um for the holidays I got him a gift to go and stay in a hotel for two days just to sleep and eat and be quiet he's introverted and so um the situation we find ourselves in now in one way it's amazing for him because he doesn't have to go into work and perform and be on. Um, and the people he loved the most are around him all the time. And, but on the other side, there's just no quiet, right? Like four people sometimes are talking at the same time. And so I thought that I wanted to just give him some time and some space. And he asked me a question, like, do you miss, do you miss the single life? So I was like, no, I don't miss the single life. I don't, I don't miss any of that. What I miss is um, not having a second even to not also be worried about you and our children. So, you know, even if I go for a massage or even if I go for a walk, I'm not thinking about my dreams and aspirations in that quiet time. 
I'm planning tomorrow's meals in my head, or I'm thinking about how can I show up better in my marriage tomorrow? Or how can I not lose my cool tomorrow with my kids? That's what I'm doing in that time of self-care. Um, and that's what I miss. I miss that, that mental space where I could just think about me on my own. And maybe that will come down the road. Maybe I'm still too new into motherhood. Um, but you can't turn that off or I can't turn that off for sure. When uh, Dexter was small, he'd fallen asleep and I was reading an article or something. My mom comes out and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm reading this article. She goes, no, you have to sleep because it didn't occur to me that he would wake up in 20 minutes and I'd be back on it. And it was like a bit of a shock. It's like, you don't have time anymore. Like it's like <laughs> maybe 20 minutes a day for yourself or half an hour. That's all you're going to get, you know, or cause you might fall asleep and it's just that acceptance that that's what's going to be for a long time where you're, you're just going to have to give to others mostly and just carve a little time for yourself. You know, if you can, it's a bit of a, yeah, you just don't, you're not prepared for it, what it means to not have that time, you know? So something that Mohini and I have been talking a lot about in our friendship is what it means to mother ourselves you know, and so when I hear the two of you talking about not really having a moment to think about your own needs, what does it mean to mother ourselves? What does it mean to parent or reparent ourselves? Okay, so for myself, um, to reparent myself, it's been a real profound experience because, you know, like, I love my mom, and I know she did her best. But you know, there's stuff that I needed to grow through. And the only person that could help me really was myself and I had to get there. And it's, it's been like a lifeline. Like I, I and that self relationship, the self mothering relationship, it, it's helped me to reach those milestones in myself, like a maturity and perspective and growth. Um, and also like, I mean, this is kind of funny, but I remember one time I was sick and my mom wanted to, one of my back was broken. I was staying at my parents' house. So she kept trying to help me. And she's very awkward in terms of how she takes care of, like she, I mean, she tries, but she's just not very nurturing in the way she does it. And then she was trying to help me. And then I said, no, I want Brian, like, cause that's my husband. And it's like, I see him as almost my mom in some ways, like when I'm sick, cause my mother never nurtured me when I was sick. Like I always had to do my own stuff and he would always take care of me when I was sick. And then I looked to him to nurture me as opposed to her, even though I had the option of having her do it for me. But anyways, like having, and also like friends and like it, yourself too, but like, you know, letting the healing come in from within, it's been life-changing really. So for me, I don't feel right now at this time in my life that I have a mothering relationship that I need to heal from. I still feel like I'm learning a lot from my mom. I'm learning about her as a mother. I'm learning, I see her as a grandmother and she's a different, it's different. Her relationship with my children as, as, her, as their grandmother is very different than how she um, loves me as her daughter. I see a difference in the way that she loves my two sisters-in-law as well and my husband. She just is a very loving person. And there is like this, you know, this 
very deep well of love that she has, which I think comes from when I, when I peel the layers back, that is how she is healing. And that is how she mothers herself. And, you know, and I'm so privileged to be the beneficiary of that. I I love how you made that connection though, in terms of her healing and that Mm -hmm. you're witnessing her healing by the way she mothers and grandmothers. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And I think you, as a child, because we're all, we are also still somebody's children. There is a point in your life where you understand your parents as humans, like as their own self as well. Right. Like, so I, I, I think about my mom as like, what is my mom like as a sexual being, right? Like, what was my mom like as a sibling? You know, what is it like for her now? You know, like I think about my mom all the time in those ways and then at the end of the day, like, I just think of her as just like, I, I, I meet her where she's at, like who she is, is it's perfect. Um, whatever, whatever deficiency there might be there or whatever I wish she had done differently, like who she is, 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 is okay. And it's perfect as well. Yeah. That's radical sure. acceptance. Yeah. yeah that's what I strive for in all my relationships and not, not sometimes more successfully than others. But what, what you've described is what I interpret as radical acceptance. So I think I can share a bit about my experience as a stepmom. Prior to meeting my husband, I hadn't been in relationship with anyone that had had children. So I never really thought about being a step-parent or raising children with someone until that time. I went into it, I think, with some really idealistic notions of like, this is the kind of stepmom I want to be. And this is how I'm going to bond with the boys Um, They were six and nine when I first met them and I had all these activities planned. You know, we built a fort in the living room with chairs and sheets and we're sitting on the floor together and I brought like puzzles and we had snacks. And though I've never birthed my own children, like I love kids. And for years, I actually thought I would be an elementary school teacher. So often whenever children are around, I make sure that I have coloring or games or toys ready So when I met them, you know, I was pretty nervous. I wanted them to like me because my relationship with their father was quite serious. And also, you know, they were probably wondering, who is this woman coming into our lives? I wanted them to feel safe and at ease with me. And over time, you know, we grew close as they felt more at ease with me, though I started to notice some changes and they were struggling with navigating having, you know, me, this other woman in their lives and what that meant for their mom. Unfortunately, I could sense in them this struggle like around loyalty. Am I, am I loyal to my mom if I also like Farheen? You know, and I needed to let them know that they were off the hook, that there was no pressure in terms of who I needed to be in their lives and who they needed to be in my life. I'm sure there was some grieving that happened for me, you know, to let go of, oh, I get to be a mom now. And what does that mean for me? versus, you know, what is in their best interests. Early on, I'd go to their school concerts, their dad and their mom was also there, we would sit together, and I could see them sort of avoiding eye contact with me and staying pretty close to their mom. So I just hang back. And, you know, at one point, after this happened a few times, I, I said to them, I wonder if it's a bit confusing to have me at your school when both your mom and your dad are there. Maybe your friends don't really know who I am, you know, and as much as I love coming to your concerts and I always want to support you, I'm okay. You know, if you would 
if you want to let me know when it's comfortable for you that I attend, that's most important to me that you feel comfortable. And in the meantime, you know, I can hear you practicing and your dad will share any photos and videos from the concerts with me. So there's been a, a lot of transformation of the relationship over time. And I had to let go of sort of expectations and attachments that I had coming into it. Um, they don't call me mom or their stepmom. They call me Farheen and that feels really good for us. And you know, the way I see it, they basically have a mom and they have a dad and they have many family members that really love them and care for them. And I am one more adult in their lives that cares for them. And I'm here for them whenever they need me. And I don't really know any other stepmoms. I've been trying to figure it out on my own. And I think we've got a good flow going. And there are actually things that they share with me that are unique to our relationship. You know, so sometimes I'm the go-to person for homework help. And often in the car, there th we have these very short drives um, where I'll take them home and they'll share in those couple of minutes something with me. And I'll talk to their dad about it of like, oh, did you hear such and such happened at school? And he'll be like, what? They never told me about that. So it's kind of special. I've got a little special relationship that's unique to me and them. And that's been nice to see that unfold over time. That's beautiful, Farheen. That's just beautiful. And you have these like, these instincts to want to take care of them and to want to be there for them. And even the way you describe anticipating what it might feel like for them at a concert with their mom there and you there, like that's, it's so beautiful that you even would care about that. And it's not about your ego, right? It wasn't about like you feeling offended about how they might feel, you know, you're, you really put their feelings first. And I see that as what you said earlier, Manju, you know, we are custodians. If we see our role with either our own biological children or other children as caregivers, which you did, like, Farheen, like, what is, what is it that they want in respecting them? Mm. I think um, the other thing I want to say is there is no shortage of evil stepmother. <laughs> Um, ideology, which, you know, is real. That shit is real. It's in films, it's in all kinds of popular culture. I'm not saying that you were trying to dismantle that all in one go. There was other complicated dynamics, but that's also a bit of a, you know, I can imagine if I were meeting someone and that person had children, I'd be like, you know, how am I going to be perceived? Because again, in a context where we don't collectively raise children, there is this pitting against of women in particular for the affections of children. I don't, I don't know, I could be mistaken and the three of you are going to enlighten me, whether it happens with stepfathers and biological fathers, but certainly our cultural constructs around women and children is like toxic, toxic mother blaming and shaming. I like to go on these little rants. Well, you, you remind us of the systemic, you know, things that we're grappling with. I think for me, I actually never really even thought about the evil stepmother archetype. And so I'm actually grateful that I didn't because when I think about that now, it would have been a lot of stress and pressure. I'm so glad you didn't. I'm so glad. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I was really thinking about, 
I'm not here to threaten their mom as well. Like I want to honor her role as their, as their parent, even if there are things that I don't agree with, that's been really important. At a certain point, my husband and I needed to make a decision that we were not going to speak negatively about their mom in front of them. And that if we were going to parent differently or try to shed different light on certain situations with them, that we would try to um, just simply introduce our ideas as our own ideas and hope that exposing them to all of these different approaches to life will resonate in some way that they'll become who they are and they'll remember what they remember and hopefully it'll all land in a good way. (laughs) And speaking with other friends who are mothers who are also divorced or separated, what they shared about also trying to make other women feel comfortable or not comfortable or wondering if their children or child is going to love this woman more it, whether it's a personal experience or not, it is in the society. Oh, for Th- sure. This idea that women, it, especially in a misogynist, sexist society, which tells women our only real value is motherhood or our sexual appeal and youth, that we, we have to trade in that currency all the time. So how good a mom am I? How nurturing am I? Or how sexually appealing am I? So we are playing that out, whether, you know, I mean, we're playing that out consciously or unconsciously, or people are playing that out on our behalf. They're projecting that onto us. So I have heard of it um, with others and friends who said they have not left their partners because they didn't want another woman parenting their children. Yeah, that's real. Like, mm-hmm. so again, like, I mean, this and Mandu, I keep coming back to that quote. The, the this ownership of children is pretty fascinating. I was just gonna say, yeah, that it's often the case like where parents are trying to live vicariously, like put them in all these activities so that like what Faiz was saying, they're kind of competing with each other about how well our children are doing and not listening to or not looking at who they are. And how to help them to get, because it's not about you. This isn't, you You don't own them. This is, you're trying to help guide them in our flawed way, because we still need guidance ourselves, right? Like, how do we guide them into figuring out who they are? And that's, that's the role. And it's, it's, but it's hard, like, because you're taking care of them so much to not take an ownership feeling like with them, because especially when they're little, like you're commanding them to do things because you have to. And then being able to let that go. So I'm reminded of the book, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. There's a passage about children. Um, I actually know it by heart because I used to be part of the city choir in Toronto and the amazing Subhashankaran. She was one of the conductors of the choir and she arranged this, arranged this particular passage of the prophet for the choir to sing. And the quote is, your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not of you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. So our conversation reminded me of that. Your daily life where you're like trying to rush around, do your work, whatever, this is their childhood. You don't even know what they're going to gleam out of it or what's going to matter to them because 
So I know we can't always do it. And sometimes, you know, one challenge I'm having is when he was a baby, it was easy to be open and nurturing and just be there for them. As he's growing, sometimes he's challenging me and I, I hit up against, you know, my own limitations. Uh, uh, like I'll lose my patience or, you know, cause it's, it's, you won't do that to a baby, right? But you will do it then because they're like pushing your buttons and it, then you feel guilty and it's like, oh, I, because I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect person, right? Like I'm, I'm still growing myself and, and now they're challenging you to re like go beyond your own like problems or, or limitations or it forces you to grow. Um, and that's really, and then every like six months, he's a different person. He has a different uh, behaviors. <laughs> And I've kind of create had a strategy. Okay, here's how I'm going to deal with this, and then it doesn't work anymore. Or he's doing something else, and it's it's a challenge. And we talk about an idealistic way, like how they grow and whatever. But that daily challenge of like whether you're trying to get somewhere and they're not listening, they're not getting their clothes on, or they're like fighting with you, and you're like it's frustrating, you know. And but you try to remember and be conscious, like they're because they're growing. It's because they're becoming who they are and it's not always what you think they they should be or what you feel they they might be doing things you just can't understand it's perplexing you know because that's who they are and you you have to figure them out and yeah but like all relationships you know that are worth it you know they're challenging but like you know you know you also grow in them and it's not all idealistic but it's rewarding you know so Manju and Faiza, you know, we've been speaking quite broadly about your experiences as mothers, and I know a little bit about each of your children. And whenever I hear about your kids, I feel so lit up inside. And I wonder, like, can you tell us more about your kids? Who are they as people? You know, what does that mean to you? Dexter's like really funny, I find. And he's good company. Like, sometimes he's a little hyper, right? You know, but he's he makes me laugh. Like, he's, and he'll like... But he's very honest and he'll throw it back at you. Like, well, you didn't do this. Like, why do I have to do it? Um, or one time he was being really silly and I was getting a bit aggravated. And I said, could you just stop being silly? And he was like, but mom, silly is my thing. <laughs> and that's like when he was five. Um, so, yeah. So um, I just enjoy his company. I like hanging out with him. He doesn't complain a lot. You know, he's kind of just goes along with stuff. He's often the only kid because he's an only child. Um, with a bunch of adults and he's fine with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like he like, he likes to talk to people and I don't know. I just think he's like a, a good company, funny, you know, intelligent companion, my buddy, my friend, my permanent date. <laughs> you know why I think he's such great company, Manju? Because you and Brian have treated him and seen him with so much respect from the day I think he was probably conceived, but certainly the day he was born, I think it's the way you see him. And he knows that he's a person in his own right. And so, of course, he's that to you because that's who you've always seen him to be. That's true. Actually, Brian and I would say, like, we're kind of like a we're a country in miniature, right? So we're <laughs> a democracy, which means we're in charge, but he's allowed to say his dissent or, and then we'll examine it. But sometimes the law comes in and you have to do it. Right. But we want him to have a voice and we want him to, you know, like, um, you know, like Mo, you taught me how 
to teach him about his body. So I would always say to him, like, if you don't want to hug even me, anybody, you can say, no, that's my choice, my body. I wasn't sure he heard me all the time that I said it. And the other day I said, can I have a hug? And he goes, no, it's my body and it's my choice. And I said, okay, great. <laughs> even babies, like, if they don't want to hold you, you to hold them, then you don't. You don't force it, you know. They have their own needs. They, they are their own sovereign people. And they have a right to their body, their feelings, their choices. Of course, like sometimes they're kids and they want to run out in front of a car and that's not a good thing. But, you know, they, they shouldn't be just trampled over like what they feel. And I really strongly believe, believe in that. And that way, when they grow up, that's how they'll feel as an adult, right? Who are my kids? So, you know, Kayim is uh, really creative, whether it's drawing, whether it's he's got this app on his tablet right now where he can... Um, it's like a DJ drum app. So he makes, you know, these hilarious compositions and he gives them really interesting names. He made one called My Mama Only Eats Turkey Bacon because we had this whole discussion about being raised Muslim and not having pork. And like, it's interesting how he's processing these conversations we have through creating these this music. And Malik is this very physical, sensory kid. And, you know, he wants to touch and feel everything. So he wants to splash in water. He wants to taste sand. He wants to be the, like, get as dirty as possible. He lives to make his brother laugh. Like he wakes up the first thing in the morning, he wants to make his brother laugh. You see his nurturing and his caring come out in relation to his brother. And you see Kayim's nurturing and caring come about in a different way. He thinks about how systems work. I remember sharing with Farheen back in the summer, we were at Shoppers Drug Mart and there was a, um, a newspaper and it showed the cop kneeling on George Floyd's neck and Kayim started asking questions. You know, at the time he was four years old and I was completely unprepared to have this conversation. And I was texting Irvin, like, as soon as we get home, we need to like talk about this. And, you know, Kaim was asking stuff like, why is the cop doing that? And I was honest, I don't sugarcoat it. I have discussions about race with my kids openly. Irvin and I talk about things that are happening on the news openly in front of them. We allow them to ask questions. And so every question he asked, I answered it as developmentally appropriately as I could. And we talked about, you know, some people will look at your skin and they will make a judgment or they will value you differently. And, you know, he was like, well, where is this cop? Is he in our neighborhood? Is he going to do this to me? And he automatically was connecting this idea of these systems to himself and making it really personal. And interestingly enough, as we were, you know, left the shoppers drug mart and went for a walk on our way home, we passed four police officers on a bike. Three were white and one was a person of color and the boys gravitated to that police officer. And Malik, he went and started like grabbing for things on the cop's body and was asking about his gun. Like, where's your gun? What are you going to do with that? And Kayim kind of skirted behind me because we had just seen this image. And I said to the cop, you know, we just had a conversation about George Floyd and the cop was amazing and talked to him. Kayim eventually came out from behind me that incident just sticks out in my mind because they are both their own person. They're both these individuals who are growing and changing, but there are these fundamental things about their personality that keep showing up, you know, every few months. And with Kayim, it's this idea of justice and fairness, how systems affect him personally. And with Malik, it's like, who's my next audience going to be? Who, who can I entertain and who can I make laugh? And I, you know, you just see this evolution of these personalities.
And all we want to do is just get to know them. We just want to get to know them. And they're exciting to get to know. They're fun to get to know. And I know with, you know, Farheen and I work together and I love like going over and like telling them funny stories about what my kids did that morning or what they said that morning. And just, yeah, that's the, that's the best part of my work day is really (laughs) hearing about your kids. I have to say, and to hear really hearing about, all of the children in my life through my friends, the, the people that they're raising and bringing into the world. Yeah, you and Manju are so humble as mothers. And I want to acknowledge the ways that you are mothering with such intentionality, compassion, love, and care. And I feel so grateful for the ways that you're raising your children. You know, it brings me a lot of hope for the future, actually, and a lot of joy. And thank you both so much for your time and your wonderful contributions to our conversation today. Now let's leave our listeners with some questions for reflection. How are you mothering or parenting others in your own life, either through biological relationships or not? What does it mean to parent and or reparent care for yourself? whether your parent is alive or they're no longer here, or you're not even in relationship with them. If you had one question left that you could ask them one last question, what would that question be? And, you know, and why is that question important to you? Thank you for listening and reflecting with us. We trust that you'll continue to have great conversations with the people in your life. Join us again, because we've got lots more to say. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at notyouraverageaunties at gmail.com. We all belong and matter. This world needs all of us to continue creating a more just world for everyone. Bye for now.